Well, good morning. How you be? You're looking good, most of you. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Hey, I want to welcome you to week three of our series called That Makes Sense, and we're taking a subject that most of us honestly have a love-hate relationship with, and that is money. We love it, but we hate it, right? And we could stand here all day and hear testimonies of why that's true, but check this out. Have you noticed in the last 15 or 16 months that a lot of things have changed? Have you noticed that? Listen, I don't know if you knew this or not, but this, this was pretty staggering to me. True story. That in the last 15 months, the top 1% wealthiest people in the world have more resources than they've ever had before. And check this out. The top 1% wealthiest people in the world now own more stuff and money than the bottom 50% all combined. <laughs> How's that make you feel? Like anybody feel like God wants me to be a one percenter? Yeah. <laughs> and let's just face it, like, you know, most of us would say, yeah, I'm probably not going to make the one percent, but I'd, I'd rather not be in the bottom five or ten or whatever. And uh, I don't know about you, but I find that um, wealth or being rich is kind of a moving target. It just kind of keeps moving all the time. Like, the target's way different than when I was 15 and I got my first job and I was a busboy and, and washing dishes and I think they paid me like $2.75 an hour. But I had no, nothing to do with my money other than to spend it on what I wanted. And I can remember being 14, 15 and being like, this is so cool. Look at all the money I have. My parents always talking about money this and money that. Like, you know, now I look back at that and it's not so cool. I'm like, that's basically, I was working every hour for like a Coke today. Right? But it didn't, didn't dawn me there. And then I went in the Air Force at 18. I don't remember exactly what they paid me, but I had free room and board, free food, all that, right? And they still gave me a paycheck. And I was like, man, this thing called life and wealth, like, this is cool. Like, I can buy whatever I want. I didn't even pay any utilities. And then I got married, right? <laughs> really? You don't know where this is going. <laughs> So I got married, and because I got married in the Air Force where I was at in California, listen, we qualified for a base house. We got a base house that was outside of the base, but in base housing, a four-bedroom house. All utilities except phone and cable were paid by the, you, the government, and, <laughs> and my wife and I, we were still getting a paycheck, and she was working. I was like, are you kidding? This is like so cool. We are like, we, we got it made. Then I got out of the Air Force. I got a job as an engineer because of my training in the Air Force, and they paid me even more money. We had to pay our own housing and stuff. But listen, I can just tell you this. They paid me when I traveled during the week, Monday through Friday, which is what I did. They'd pay me to eat out all three meals. They paid me being away from our office every day. I made more money in a week than I made in the Air Force a month just to travel. I was like, this is so cool. Man, all these people worried about making money like we have arrived, honey. And then God got involved and <laughs> I gave my life to Jesus and God, I, I felt like he wanted me to quit my engineering job to go into ministry. And that's a whole different story. We never felt rich again. But you know what? Here's why I say all that. That's a moving target, right? If somebody had told you when you were 20 what you'd be making when you were 40, you'd be like, oh, no way. And then you got there and it wasn't. You're like, oh, now it's here. And it keeps moving and it keeps moving and it keeps moving. And if the honest truth were known, you know how most, what most people would ask when you say, you know how much money do you need to make to be comfortable, to be happy? You ask almost anybody. You know what they'll say? A little bit more. A little bit more. We never quite arrive. It never delivers what it promises and Jesus, listen, if you'll take out your note sheets, Jesus spoke to us with caution on this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Notice what he says. He says, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus is saying, don't get sucked in. 
You're, you're living in a world and in a society, and especially in America, where it's so easy to get sucked in and think that life is about possessions. That if you want to be happy and fulfilled, you've got to have a lot of stuff. And then Jesus tells us a story about a farmer that you might know who had a banner year. It sounds like farmers this year, like, right? Like, this, this is going to be really cool. Farmers, they say this year could make, like, prices are way, way up, which is good for them if everything else cooperates, right? But this farmer had just like this banner year, like everything grew like crazy. And his one problem is he harvested so much, his problem was he didn't have enough barns to store all the stuff. And so what he does is he says, holy cow, what should I do? And he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to tear down these little old flimsy barns that I've had, and I'm going to build bigger ones to store all the stuff that I have and hold on to it. Never did it dawn on him that you might could give some of that away, that you've been blessed so much you might pass it to people that don't have much. But he said, nope, I got this. I'm going to figure all this out, and I'm going to look at what the Bible says. It says to store all the stuff up for me, for myself. And Jesus says to him, the only time Jesus ever said this to somebody, he said, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? Are you kidding? You think this is your problem, but tonight your life's going to end. And who's going to get all this stuff that you've kept for yourself? And here's the object lesson. It goes on. This is how it will be with whoever stores up for themselves things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I want to talk today about how do you get rich toward God so that we don't fall into that trap. Can I just tell you, God was not mad that this guy was rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. In fact, he was a farmer. Now think about this. Think about this. This never really dawned on me this way before, this week. All the farmer needs to be rich is rain, sunshine, and good soil. Right? That's all the farmer needs. So who made the guy rich? God did. Who provides the rain? God. Who provides the sun? God. Who provides fertile soil? God. God wasn't mad that the guy was rich. God was calling him a fool because he was rich, but he wasn't rich toward God, the things that really mattered. And his life was about to end. And he had been making investments in the wrong places. Now, let me give you some good news. I got good news today and bad news, all right? So let me give you the good news first. The good news is, you're rich. Nobody even got excited. Listen, you're rich. That's the good news. <laughs> you might say, I'm not, you don't even understand me. I live on a limited income. We all do. You say, I'm not rich. I don't even feel rich. Like you talked about the separation of the 1% and then they own more than the bottom 50%. Like I'm pretty confident I'm not in the 1%. I got that. Me neither. But you know what I do know about every one of us in this room and everyone watching? Listen, there's 3 billion people on planet Earth right now that would love to trade places with you and I because three billion people on planet Earth today live on $2 or less a day. They would love to have our problems. They would love to deal with the, what I call rich people problems. Now think about our rich people problems. I don't know about you, but in our house, we have this box that you can open up at any time and there's cool stuff in there to eat. It's called a refrigerator. It keeps stuff from spoiling. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't have to think every day, what can I go out and kill to eat today because it will spoil if I don't kill it today? That's a rich people problem. Three billion people don't have that rich problem of going to a box that keeps stuff cold. We can store all kinds of stuff in there, and I don't know about you, I can ha we, can, we can't even put another thing in our refrigerator, and I'll open up the refrigerator door sometime and say, man, we don't have nothing here to eat. <laughs> We're rich. 
We're rich. <laughs> I can get on my phone or my iPad. I can search product after product after product, click one button, and no matter where it's located, they'll deliver it to my house in two days. And I get ticked if it takes three. <sighs> Rich people problems, right? The device that you have in your pocket that you talk on has more calculating power than the biggest A-frame of the 70s and 80s that sent men to the moon. You can take that same phone and you can binge watch Netflix. And when you see that little circle starting to spin, you go, ah, it's buffering. You need to remind yourself when you get frustrated, that's coming from outer space to your phone. We have rich people problems. Everybody say this, I'm rich. Do you believe it? We are. But you know what's odd? It's uncomfortable to say. It just is, because we don't feel rich. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.19. Solomon spoke to this so well. He says, moreover, when God gives someone, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, we talked about that last week, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. The problem is, is when your stuff has you. When God gives you the ability to accept your lot and be happy in your work and in your toil, Solomon says, this is a gift from God. We don't have to be uncomfortable saying that I've been blessed by God. I would never apologize when people say, you seem like you and your wife have a good marriage. We do. And I've never once said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we have a good marriage. Right? I'm sorry my kids love Jesus. I'm sorry I'm in good health and I've never been in the hospital and I've never had a surgery. I'm so sorry. I've never done that then why as Christians do we feel uncomfortable saying, let's just be honest, I'm rich. You know why? Because we always compare what we have to what somebody else has, and they always seem to have a lot more. Doesn't make us not rich. So the good news is you're rich. Here's the bad news. You're rich. Here's the bad news. I'm rich. Because the more I have, the harder it is to live by faith. I tend to trust what's in my hands. And I forget that God's the one that puts it in my hands. I can remember when I quit my engineering job, no, no joke, we lived paycheck to paycheck, and that was a stretch. My wife worked at a grocery store, I worked at the other grocery store in town, because I was going back to school, right, to try to do what I'm doing today. And we, listen, they allowed us to put groceries on credit and pay on Friday. Okay, and I can remember doing more praying then, but in, if you ask my wife today, one of the happiest seasons of our life, she'd say during that, you know why? Because we had so little that we truly relied on God for everything we did. And in many ways, we were more fulfilled and more happy then than we have been. But when you get more in your hands, like when I was an engineer, I don't remember hardly ever praying because I didn't feel that I needed to. Right? Jesus runs into a guy like this. We know it is a story of the rich young ruler. And a rich young ruler, this guy had everything money could buy. He comes up to Jesus one day because he kind of had a sneaking suspicion. He was missing out on something. He had everything money could buy, but there was something missing. And he, so he asked Jesus, because he had heard he's the Messiah, Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Like, you know, I got all this stuff, but like, who? I'm seeing the writing on the wall and people are dying. Like, so what's going to happen when I die? So how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, oh, first of all, you got to keep all the commandments, all of them. And the rich young ruler, being rich and young, said, check, got that. I do all those. Liar. Nobody does all 10 commandments. Mm -mm. But Jesus let him say that he did. And so he said, okay, good job. You're amazing. My words. One more thing, because Jesus knows everything about him. He knew what really was his God. 
And for God to be your God and Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, there can't be two number ones. There's only one. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything that you have. And I want you to give all the proceeds to the poor. And then come and follow me. He wanted to see where his heart was. And you know what the man did? The man dropped his head and he walked away. You know why? Because Jesus knew what was holding him back from giving his best and his first place to God. And he said, no. And then Jesus looked at him. Look what he said in Luke 18, verse 24 and 25. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Are you telling me rich people can't go to heaven? That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's hard. You know why it's difficult? Because people that have a lot of stuff, a lot of wealth, don't think they need God. And to put God as number one, you have to get rid of what's number one previous to him. And for many of us, especially in America, it's possessions, it's stuff. Wealth isn't the problem again, though. <laughs> the problem isn't the things you possess. The problems are is when the, the things possess us. And so with the rest of our time today, what I want to do is I want to get very specific about how you and I can be rich toward God. And I can't tell you, if, if you could see inside of me, I'm about to explode because here's what I believe. If you and I will get this, if we will really get this today, it will be life-changing. It will be eternity-changing. It will change your life. It'll change your kid's life. It will change your grandkids' life. All for the better. All for the better. But to do it, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to think like you've never heard anybody talk about this subject before. Just open up your mind to what God says as we look at how to be rich toward God. All right? Here's number one. The first thing is, we've got to think like a steward and not an owner. That should sound familiar because we've talked about that every week during this series. We've got to think like a steward, not an owner, because God says we're not owners, we're stewards. And a steward is a manager, and God says, everything you have is a gift from me, and I want you to manage my stuff. Yes, I want you to enjoy some of it, but you're managing it for me, you're not an owner. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth, get this, the earth, the big globe that everybody lives on. The earth is whose? It's the Lord's. And everything in it, that means all the stuff, and that means you and I. The world and everything in it. And all who live in it, it belongs to God. We've got to get that in our mind. I don't own a thing. You don't own a thing. The richest people on the planet don't own a thing. It's all God's stuff. And he divvies it out for us to manage. Sometimes I'm glad that he didn't give you much to manage because I haven't always done really well. You know what that really means to me? To get real practical because I'm a practical kind of guy. I've got to think in word pictures because I'm not that bright. The TV that hangs on your wall that you watched last night, no matter how many inches it is, that's God's. That refrigerated box that's keeping stuff cold, that belongs to God. The clothes that you put on today, they're God's. Now, he might not wear them, but they're his. The closet that you store those clothes in belongs to God. Everything in this world, God says it belongs to me. Now, this is so critical. This is so, so, so critical. If you believe everything is God's, and you're a manager of his stuff, doesn't it go to say that if you're managing stuff for an owner, that you follow the owner's directions of how to manage the stuff? Makes perfect sense to me. That's why we're calling this, this make, that makes sense. If you say yes, okay, when you put it that way, everything, okay, I'll admit that everything I have is not mine, it's God's. Let me ask you this question then. Let's start right here. Are you a tither? Oh, I knew he's going to bring up that word. Listen, because it's a game changer, folks. It sets everything in motion. It starts with the tithe. If you're taking notes, write that down. Start with the tithe. Because the reason I'm starting here is because I'm telling you this is the brick wall in your faith. You're stuck 
If you're not doing that, the rest of it won't make sense. It doesn't fall into place because God says that's where you start acknowledgement that it's not your stuff, that it's mine, and I put it in your hands, is I want you to return to me the first tenth part of everything I put in your hands. So listen like you've never heard this before. In the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament is a book called Malachi. When I first gave my life to Christ, I thought that it was the Italian prophet, Malachi, but it's Malachi, all right? <laughs> Malachi was a minor prophet. It, Malachi was written 400 years before Jesus showed up in Matthew, all right? And so here's the context that we know from the Bible, that the tithe happened, it predated the law, predated the law. Some people want to say, well, the tithe is Old Testament. The, pro, the tithe predated the Old Testament. It was before the Old Testament. It was included in the law in the Old Testament, and Jesus reaffirms it in the New Testament. So just for what that's worth. So it was before the Levitical law. It was in the Levitical law, and it was in the New Testament. So the prophet Malachi in chapter 3, verse 10 says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Everybody say bring. This is so important. You might circle it on your note sheets. That there may be food in my house. And then he says something that he never said before and he never says again about any other subject. He says, test me in this. Put me to the test in this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse was the Old Testament temple, New Testament. It's the local church where you get fed spiritually. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. That's God himself saying it. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you'll not have room enough to store it. When I put something in your hands, put me to the test. Put the first tenth back to me. Bring it to where you're being spiritually fed and see if I don't bless more than you could even contain it. Test me in this. It's all mine anyway. I just, I'm going to leave you 90%. You still got some responsibility, but the first tenth, I want you to give it back to me. Now, I want you to notice a couple things. You circled bring. It doesn't say give. It says bring. You bring it. You know why you don't give it? Because you can't give anything that you don't own. But you can bring what rightly is, belongs to him. <laughs> and it doesn't mean just a tenth part of your income. Don't miss this. It means the first tenth part. The order of things matters to God because God wants to be first place in our life in every aspect. Matter of fact, he wants us to be together on the first day of the week. That's why worship on a Sunday is so priority. Start your week off worshiping, collecting, getting together with other believers and lifting up the name that's above all names. That's how we start our week. You know how he wants us to start our day? Opening up his word, spending time with God, getting to know him, getting to worship him, spend time with him every day. I get to start out my day how I choose, and he wants the first part. And I know when I put him first during the day, my days tend to go better, and I'm better focused. When I start my week this way consistently, listen, I'm putting things in order. When I get blessed by God, however I get paid once a week, bi-weekly, monthly, however it comes in, the first part, the first tenth part goes back to God saying, thank you. I recognize that you've blessed me. I'm not giving you leftovers. I'm giving you the first part. Leviticus says the tithe is holy. Holy means to be set apart. That's what God is saying. It belongs to me. And so we bring it. <laughs> It's that moment of worship every time I write a check to remind myself I'm declaring God's ownership and what you've blessed me with. Let me ask you this. How many have ever been out of the country on vacation somewhere? How many have been to Mexico? Anybody been to Mexico? When we lived in Texas, I remember going to the Mexico for the first time and everything was different there. It's like they had a different word for everything almost. I couldn't understand a thing. And I remember some friends of ours that took us there, and my brother said, hey, you know what, they're going to try, you know, everywhere you look, you're going to see these places where you can exchange your American money for pesos. And you're going to think you're rich, because pesos, you know, you get a lot of pesos for a dollar, right, or whatever it was. I don't remember what it was back then. But he said, don't do it. Don't, 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 
Don't fall into that. You don't need to exchange your American money for pesos because in Mexico, your American money is good. They'll let you pay American money for everything. They'll just convert it. Did I listen? No. I'm like, no, I want some pesos. Like I saw people pulling out wads of pesos. I'm like, oh. So I cashed in some money, got me some pesos. I'm trying to act like I know what I'm doing. Like maybe they won't know that I'm not from here. (laughs) You know how we try to accept a dialect or an accent to make them think we speak their language and we're still speaking English? Anyway, that's, that's my stupidity. But anyway, so we did it. And we, you know, we did our thing and we ate and, you know, people try to sell you stuff and their stuff was cheap and I'm whipping out pesos like I'm some really wealthy guy, you know, and like, you know, and then we got done and we went home and all that stuff. And I took all my money out, all these pesos and put them on the dresser. And I'm like, what am I doing with all these? Like, I want my American money back. My brother said, those pesos aren't, that currency's not accepted here. You can't buy anything here with a peso. Keep that in your mind, we're coming back to that, okay? Now here's what I know. When my kids were young, they always wanted to go to these birthday parties. Hey dad, we need to buy something for my buddy. We're at a birthday party. And I'd say, okay, let's go shopping for a birthday party gift. And I'd say, you got $10. We got a $10 limit. And my son especially was like, dad, are you kidding? Like, come on. This is my best friend. Like, can't we buy him a dirt bike? <laughs> dad, remember we were at that farm store? They had those go-karts. Could like, we buy him a go-kart? Would that be like cool and I could ride it when he's riding it at his birthday party? And I found out, listen, kids were really generous with gifts when somebody else is paying for them. And then I thought, well, I'm kind of that way too, right? If I'm going out shopping, I'm buying a car, I'm like, oh man, I got this kind of taste, but I got this kind of income. Now if somebody came up to me and said, hey, you name it, we'll buy you a car. I got a whole different eyeball for a car now. You know what I'm saying? I don't think I'm, and kids are the only people that do that. So I had to teach my kids, listen, I appreciate your generosity. But the gift means a lot more when there's some work behind it. When you realize the value of a dollar. When you realize that you're not an owner, but you're a steward. You see, I started to learn that there's a difference between me being (laughs) a holding tank for everything God puts in my hand, that God really wants me to be a conduit, that everything he puts in my hands isn't just for me. Some of that I need to let go through me and do God's work in other places. That's the way we were designed to live our lives. My wife and I got on this tithing adventure close to 30 years ago. And I got to be honest, at first when I heard it, the first time I heard it, I was so reluctant. I'm like, sounds like somebody came up with a church scam, right? They just want my money. And they found out a way to twist the Bible into telling me that. So I did what my nature was. I'd sit in church. I'd watch them pass the plates. I'd see somebody put in a five or three ones or a 10. I'd be like, no way. I'm winning this row. We'd put in a 20. I wasn't giving a tithe. I was giving a tip. I was winning my row, feeling good about it. (laughs) Fast forward to today, because I need to. um, Whether we get a birthday gift, whether we get income tax, whether it's our paycheck, no matter what money comes in our house, the first 10% goes back to this place because this is where we worship. This is our family. This is where God's called us together to do his work. And I can tell you that not once in all these years now have I ever regretted or been reluctant to write that check. Now there's the world part of me, right, if I get focused there. But I know too much now about what God says is really important. And I've come to the conclusion I'm not an owner. I'm a steward. And I can't take anything with me. But God says I can invest in eternity by investing in his work and his people. It's the best investment I've ever made. 
Now we can talk about some of the other investments, but that's a whole different deal. I'm just hoping my kids turn out really well and make a lot of money because we tell them we might have to live with you one day. But when we get to heaven, it's a different story. Can I tell you it's one thing for a husband and a wife to be on the same page with money, but it's a whole different thing when it's a husband and a wife and your creator that all agree on how you're handling his possessions? Whole different animal. It'll change your family. It will set you free. I'm telling you. You'll never regret it. So, first we start with a shifting of our minds. I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. Here's number two. By the way, number two should be a two. You got this little triangle because I made a mistake. And the third one there should be a number three. So just go ahead and make those changes because I blew it. So those aren't bullet points for point number one. They're point two and point three, okay? All right, so here's point number two. We have to invest more than you spend. Now somebody's saying, honey, I've told you. Hold on, may not mean what you think. I'm not talking about stocks or bonds or equities or 401 or mutual. There's a place for all that, but we're not talking about that today. I'm talking about heaven. I'm talking about we need to be investing more in eternal kingdom investments than we are in this world. That's God's way. Look at Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves <laughs> treasures on earth. Why? Because it's all going to break. It's all going to disappear one day. It's all going to be given away someday. It's all going to be gone where moth and rust destroy. That's what happens with the stuff we possess here, where thieves break in and steal. But instead, God says, listen, my way is way, way, way better. Trust me. But instead, store up or rather invest your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be the same place. Wherever you invest, your heart gets attached to it. The more you invest in things that matter to the heart of God, the more your heart is going to beat towards the things of God. The more you put your stuff into stuff that won't last, the more your heart gets attached to the stuff that doesn't last, which is why he called the guy the fool, which is why he told the farmer, holy cow, no, your life's going to end today, and who's going to get all your stuff because you've invested in stuff that you can possess here in this life, but you're going to live for eternity somewhere else and you've not made much investment in that future. Every day, you and I have choices to make. To spend or invest everything that God puts in your hands. Think about this. I can spend a little bit of time today binge-watching Netflix, right? Nothing wrong with that, not a sin. But nothing's going to happen in heaven because I watched Netflix today for three or four hours. Follow me. Take the same amount of time that I would spend binge-watching Netflix. Let's take an hour of that time, and you or I got on our knees, and we prayed for our teenage kids or prayed for our grandkids. We pray for our boss that doesn't know Jesus personally. You pray for your mom or your dad or your sister or brother that doesn't know Jesus. Friends, you've made an investment in that hour that literally will have an eternal yield factor. Same amount of time. It's just where do I spend it or do I invest it? You could spend your influence, get this, we all have influence at some level. We could spend our influence building a brand or a name on social media for ourselves. We can make it, how many likes can I get? How many followers can I get? How many people can I get to push that button and say, yes, yay, you did it. Nothing evil in that. But what if I used my influence? What if I used my influence to point people to him, to make his name more famous than my name? What if I told people what God has done in my life? See, I can go buy a new gizmo or a gadget, and I love those things. 
but with the same income, I could take that and say, wow, when I put that in to God's work, when I put that into his church, when I put that into a ministry that's reaching people for Jesus, all of you that invested in this building, this Imagine campaign, you know what I get excited about? There's already people, and through the media that we've provided during this pandemic that you generously, some of you that gave, we've had people meet Jesus from other places around the globe that would never maybe walk into this building. But there's people that have walked into this building that are going to put their hand up be saying, I gave my heart to Jesus because you and I took some of what God put in our hands as a conduit and we invested in people. And that changes heaven. That changes eternity. Or you can buy that one more thing that you think looked good on the mannequin, but it won't look the same on you. <laughs> and hang it in your closet for five years with the tag still on it. Right? Again, nothing wrong with having stuff, but I'm not an owner. I'm, a, I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. I'm going to invest more than I spend because I'm going to invest it in the right place. I'm going to realize that, listen, this place will end one day. Remember those pesos that I had? <laughs> and I got home and I'm like, oh, this is cool. I had all these pesos, looked really wealthy, but now they're not worth anything. I had something that just earlier, my pocket was bulging with these pesos and I was super excited to have. Because when I was in Mexico, it had value there. But when I got back to the country of origin, my home, it was worth nothing. You know what Jesus was saying about this investing thing? We only spend a short time compared to eternity in this body on this place called earth. Short time. Even if you live to be 100 compared to a million years in eternity, would we agree that 100 is really, really, really brief? Many of us get so sucked into the world that we're living in that we live like all the stuff we accumulate here is what we're going to have forever, and that couldn't even be close farther from the truth. The fact of the matter is we're going to live here. The Bible says our time here is like a breath on a cold day. It's here and then it's gone. And listen, what Jesus is trying to tell us, that the stuff that really has value is not the stuff we accumulate here where moth and rust is going to destroy it, but it's the stuff that we invest into people in God's work because that's going to last forever. When somebody says yes to Jesus, they spend eternity with us and we're going to spend eternity with the God that created us and so loved us that he sacrificed his son and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you where there'll be no more sickness, death, where stuff won't matter, but people will matter for all eternity. That's what we get to invest in. That's what makes sense. Doesn't that make sense? If I was going to live in one place for one year and somewhere else for a thousand years, would you say, I'd set up a really nice place in that one year spot? I'd be like, no, I think, you know what, I'll do without a little bit here because I realize what's really going to matter. Compare that. So we start with becoming stewardship thinkers and then we become investors in what God owns and what he says really matters. And here's number three. We, we get to the point where we live to give. We live to give. You, you get to a point to say, holy cow, if this really is the way it is, which let's just face it, just look around, that's the way it is then I need to learn to, to live to give. For he who has a generous eye will be what? They'll be blessed. Do I have an eye to serve? What ministry team? What could I be a part of that's God's work that's making eternal difference? Because I've got resources, yes I do, and I'm not an owner, I'm a steward, but I also have time, I also have talent. What are you investing your time and your talent in that's going to outlive you? That's what he's saying. For who has a generous eye will be blessed. This whole idea of being a steward, not an owner, has really hit and been on my mind lately. A lot. A couple days a week I go to a cemetery and I walk. And sweat a lot. Can I tell you I don't like summer? Anyway. 
But I walk in the cemetery a lot. It's good for my brain because it helps me to think and sort some things out. And I do a lot of sermon preparation in my mind walking in the cemetery. And, and you know what I do a lot in the cemetery, which I think also keeps my mind sharp. I, I, I'm pretty good at math. I was always very quick with math. You know, you used to play, this is really old school streetcar. You remember that? You go desk to desk and they give you times tables. And I just won that like crazy because my mind works that way. So when I'm walking, I'm looking at all the cemetery tombstones. And just as I'm walking, I don't slow down, I just keep walking. I look at the date they were born, the date they died, and I quickly do the math and figure out how old they were. Like, oh, 72, ooh, 74, ooh, 68, ooh, 17, ooh, wonder about that story. And you just go and go and go and go and go and go and go, right? I do that all the time. You know the other thing I think about? These are all people like me that lived. And then they're gone. And you know what I think about? <laughs> I wonder what they left. And then I come to the same conclusion every time. They left it all. Because everything they accumulated here, they gave to somebody else. It got thrown away at a garage sale, went to a dumpster. Somebody's collecting it. They'll pass it to somebody else, whatever. But only the things they did for his kingdom with their time, their talent, their treasures, will live on. That's their legacy. Every tombstone has a name, a face, and a story, and a legacy, including mine. I've got a date, 1962, and a dash. I just haven't filled in the date, so I'm still living the dash. Those of you that are here breathing and watching online, we're still living in the dash. Guess what? We aren't done yet. Our story is still be written now. We can't undo what we've done in the past, but we can certainly have a wake-up God moment here and say, wow, if that's where things are headed, surprise, it is. What am I going to do different? Because I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. My kids are watching, my grandkids. Listen, I could leave them a bunch of stuff, maybe. Or I could leave them what really matters and model what it means to invest in the things that God says to mat that matter. People. His work. Pointing people to Jesus. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Man, I knew I'd run out of time. People in the back are saying, dude, you got to rush. I know, I know. So I'm moving. Here's what I want to do. As best I know how, I want to tell you this. God is inviting you into his story. He, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he chooses to use us because he wants to invite us into the story. And I'm going to run out of time, but I want to tell you this, real, this little story right at the end of your note sheets. It says, go to the village. This is before Jesus went to the cross to be crucified. He said, I want you to go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you anything to you, say the Lord needs them and they will send them right away. First of all, if you ever had an Easter pageant and they had one donkey, they were flat out wrong. There was two of them. There was a big one and a little one. Got that out of the way. Can you imagine Jesus riding in on Palm Sunday on this donkey that the guy might have been standing there that said, those are my, my donkey? Jesus didn't need his donkey. He could have flew in like Superman if he would have wanted to. He chose to get this guy involved in a story by using a donkey that God provided and put in that man's hand. And the man said yes. Every single one of you in this room and watching at home has time and talent and a treasure and a life that God has given you. And he wants to invite you into his story. He doesn't need you, but he wants to get you into the story because he wants you to be a part of something that's going to live for eternity. And whether you give what God, a first portion of what God puts in your hand, you serve with your talent and your ability that God gives you on a serving team, God's inviting you into a story. And one day, all those episodes where you were invited into a story, if you know Jesus, we're going to celebrate and God's going to show us how it all worked together. 
There's going to be people tapping you on the shoulder and said, I never met you in person. But during the pandemic, when you guys went live stream, I was in Australia and I started watching you. And because of what I heard there, I gave my heart to Jesus and I'm here because of you. There's going to be people in this community or that used to live in this community said, because of those of you that invested in Crossroads Community Church, those of you that served me as a little kid up in Kid Crossing or Jolt when I was a middle schooler or Pulse when I was a high schooler or Branded when I was in college, because of what you taught and because of how you shared your life, I gave my heart and life to Jesus. And let me introduce you to my family because of what you did for me that I was able to pass to them. And we're all here and we're going to be here for eternity because you got involved in God's story. I invite you into the story at Crossroads. If you're here in person, take out this little yellow card real quick. If you're not very fast at this, I'm going to say that's why we went long. They just wouldn't do it fast enough. No. If you're at home, you can go to connect at Crossroads when we're done. Fill out the communication card, find the place that says serving opportunities and check that box and we'll get back with you. Those of you that are in person, I want you, if you would, if you're not involved at Crossroads, there's not a more crucial time than right now. Listen, yes, we still have people that are watching at home because that's how they feel the safest. I get that. But can I tell you, the people that have been serving, the people that have been doing all the behind the scenes for all this time, listen, they get tired. We need more people to reach this community than what we're doing right now. And so I want to invite you into God's story. Put your name, your contact information on, the best time, to best way to contact you, and then team interested in serving with. I'm going to give you three big areas, and then we'll work it out from there. You'll be contacted. One is guest services. If you're into guest services, that's greeters, that's ushers, that's people out in the parking lot. That's people that are just friendly, that open doors, that put brochures together, bulletins and note sheets and hand them and smile. We want to add big time to our guest services. The presence that we have outdoors in this city is not where we want it to be. What's holding us back? We want more people. We need more people. Guest services in an area. If you're into helping family ministries, that's from the littlest crawlers, in diapers, through kids, middle school, high school, college, put family ministries, they'll be in contact. Just write family ministries. If you're more into behind the scenes, put facilities, whether it's inside cleaning or putting stuff together or sorting things out, whether it's outside in grounds and maintenance or whatever, if it's facilities. Those are three huge areas with a lot of opportunity. If you and listen, you can do something, even if it's behind the scenes. Even if you're at home, is there things you could do? Absolutely. Until you're comfortable coming here. And then when you leave today, those of you that are inside of the, with me, there'll be ushers at the doors serving, <laughs> investing in you. Drop those in. You'll be contacted this week. Those of you at home again, connect at Crossroads. Fill out the communication and check serving opportunities. Where our treasure is, that's where we find our heart. God invites us into the story. Trust me. Trust me in this. It'll change the rest of your life. It'll change all of eternity. You'll never regret being a part of God's story. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you that you... Uh, you use people like us, people that you don't need, but people you invite into your story. God, I am so thankful that you've invited me to be a part of your story. You invite me every day to use my time, my talents, my resources that you own. And you allow me to be a part of something that will live way, 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 way longer than anything I can collect on this side of the grave. And that's true for every one of us in this room. Listen, for some of you, I challenge you, start with the first day of your week to make worship consistent every week. To make the first year day that you spend at opening up God's word, that every time you get paid, the first tenth part goes back to where you're being spiritually fed, your church family. For some of you here today, listen, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Can I ask you, have you ever given your heart to Jesus? 
I'm not asking you to believe in God. I'm not asking you, are you religious? I'm asking you, do you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Because you can know. God says there's one way to heaven, and that's through his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life here on earth and was crucified, and three days later defeated death. And if you'll invite him into your heart and life and turn from your sin, your way of doing things, and invite him in as your savior, no matter when you die, heaven will be your home because God won't see you. He'll see his perfect son living in you. (laughs) Heaven's a gift, and it's available to everybody if you'll turn to Jesus. If that's you today, right where you're at, where you're seated, where you're watching online, say, God, I don't understand it all, but I admit that I'm a sinner. And as best I know how, I turn from my sin and I turn to you right now as my only hope, the only way. Forgive me of my sins. Come and take up residence in my heart. Adopt me into your family. I receive gladly the gift of eternal life that I can't earn or deserve or work for. And from this day forward, God, I admit I am not an owner, I'm a steward. Use my time, my talent, my treasure to make an eternal difference. Something we'll celebrate forever. I want to be a part of your story. And I'm going to take action today. And every day. And I give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. And everybody said, and everybody typed in chat, amen. Amen. Hey, real quick, those cards, you can drop them in the buckets as you go out. Father's Day is next week. I lied to you last week. I said this was the end of this series. It's not. But you know, Father's Day, I figured this out. A lot of times what happens on Mother's Day, we all gather, we talk about how great mothers are, and they are, and we build them up, and we applaud them, and we get excited for moms and say, you guys are awesome. And then Father's Day, we get all the guys together, and we like, you guys suck. You got to do better. <laughs> Father's Day at Crossroads is not going to be that way. Can I tell you, do everything you can to get people to start their Father's Day here with you if they can. Bring your family, bring your dad And I'm telling you, it's not just a dad message. It's a church message. It's our, it's family message. And it's going to make a difference. It'll change the rest of your life. And it just makes sense.